Heavenly Father, I just pray as we dig into your word in this moment, God, we all just come with full days, full weeks, so many pressures in our life, struggles, loss, or just busyness, God. And Lord, I just ask right now by the power of your spirit that you would just come alongside each of us exactly where we are in the place that we're sitting, God. And that we could in this moment as we prepare to dig into your word, God, that you would let us, help us to unplug from all the questions, all the distractions, all the things going on in the theater of our mind. And that God, you would by your power just remove those things and help us just to stay focused on listening to you and your word. God, we believe that your word is powerful, that it will not return void. So we pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts. And in only the ways that you can, that you would not, the people would not hear from Logan today, they would hear from you. They would hear from your word. So we trust you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, coming off uh, what I would like to say, just a bit of a bummer. Um, any Laker haters in the house? Am I all by myself? There you are. Okay, so I am, especially lately, I'm a Golden State Warriors basketball fan. In case you didn't know, it's the NBA playoffs, and right now, uh, the Lakers are playing the Warriors. And um, uh, for some reason, over the years, I have developed a healthy um, dislike towards the Los Angeles Lakers. It might be because I'm a Giants fan, I don't like the Dodgers, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe it's bled over, or just I don't like LeBron, I don't know. Um, so I have just developed into um, probably an unhealthy um, attitude towards the Lakers. Um, as I was thinking about this, um, the Lord, I think, did some work in me. And, uh, and I was looking at this text that we're reading in today in Romans chapter two, and I believe that today the Lord uh, is graciously dealing with not Laker haters, um, they could fall into that category, but what I would call, um, I'm gonna make up a new word, faker haters. Faker haters, so we're gonna get into that in the text today, and here's Here's the big idea that I think we can get in the text today in Romans chapter two, and it's this. Faker haters need God's kindness too. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, faker haters need God's kindness too. All right, turn to the other person on the other side of you and say, faker haters need God's kindness too. Now, I don't think you really believe that yet. There's a part of you that's saying, no way. Okay, but I believe that the text here that we're reading in is really gonna help us in believing this and actually believing that that exclamation point, at the end of this message, we are gonna feel that. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna walk out walking in that truth. In this text that we're reading today, um, you may have noticed in the very first verse, there's a word, it says, therefore. Now, we're reading uh, in the, the second chapter of Romans in the middle of a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the early church in Rome. It was a church in Rome that was actually predominantly Gentile, people that were not Jews, but then the Jews moved back in, and there were these struggles between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and they were trying to navigate 
the way of following Jesus together under the revelation of Jesus' death and resurrection. So they're navigating this, and Paul is writing to the, to the church, and in chapter one, if you followed along a couple weeks ago when we preached through chapter one, is Paul writes about in chapter one about how all humanity, all of us, especially those who do not yet know God, are unrighteous. And we fall, if we're not careful, into what, what I would call the spiral of sin. And we, and we are without excuse that, that because we, we suppress the truth, because we can't handle the truth, the truth about who God is, we fall into sin. And Paul, as he's writing this, I imagine him writing this letter to the church, and I imagine him anticipating someone like me who grew up in the church, who grew up knowing all about God, who grew up knowing all about the things that you're supposed to do, the things that you're not supposed to do. I imagine him and Paul anticipating me and writing, therefore, Saying, wait a second, Logan, right now, as he, as, as, I, as he writes about sin, as he writes about struggle, I start to think, oh yeah, go get him, Paul. <laughs> I start to think about, oh yeah, this is for all those people. All those uh, sinners. All those pagans. All those people who do whatever it is that I believe is contrary to the biblical worldview, to the, the biblical ethic of the Bible. And Paul here is pausing, and he's saying, before you point those fingers, make sure that you examine your own life. You better check yourself. We used to say, right, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Look at, look at what's happening here as he's speaking into what I would call the faker haters. Verse one, therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. So now he's writing to this church folks, these, these uh, most likely Jewish Christians who are starting to judge these Gentile Christians. He says, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. God is the righteous judge. He will judge sin. He will deal with sin and all sin. He says, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God, question mark. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Seems to me here, first, Paul is dealing with what I would call the haters. The folks that are reading this text, reading their Bibles, or reading the Torah, and saying, oh yeah, I know all of these things. And in this case, he's talking to Jewish Christians who were the people of God, and if you know the Old Testament story, they were, they were chosen by God all the way back to Father Abraham. 
And in the Old Testament story, you can see that God has, has, has used them and has, has called, them, called them to be a blessing and to bless others. And the sign of their, of their identity, it says the sign of their covenant, the sign of, of the fact that they are God's people was the sign of circumcision, a, an act that they would, that they would have on, on their children. There would be a sign of, of their covenant relationship with God. And Paul, and it's also a sign of the law that God gave them that said, this is how you live. If you follow these commandments, if you follow the Torah, the law, the ways of God, you can be in relationship, in covenant relationship with God. But if you know the story of the scriptures is the law of God was not given just for us to know what's right and wrong. It was given for us to obey. And the problem in the story of God's people, the problem in the story of humanity is that for some of us, we're really good about knowing what's right and wrong, knowing and telling others, but Paul is saying we're not obeying. We're not following it. And in verses five and following, he highlights that. He calls the people out and says, in essence, like you guys are hating when, when, when you're doing the same thing. He says, you're, you're, you're as, we, as we've heard it said, you're, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. And so we have, he's calling them out. He's calling out, there seems to be this attitude inside of them of enjoying judging other people. And so we have the haters, but also, he also wants to understand that they're not just haters for the sake of hating, they're also what I would like to call the fakers. Or when I was a kid, we would call them the posers. You guys remember that word? The posers, people that dress a certain way, right? Right, uh, in skateboarding, it would be like they got the skateboarding shoes, they got the whole fit, but they couldn't do a kickflip, okay? Um, that'd be me, I could never do a kickflip, all right? Um, and so we have the haters and we have the fakers, and what I would call is, Paul is calling out what I would call the faker haters, not the laker haters, the faker haters, okay? He's calling them out. And in essence, what he's saying is, he's saying, you have put so much focus in this text. If you read through this and, and you go through the reading plan, you're gonna see this really divided and, 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 and unpacked. We don't have the time to unpack every single verse. But in essence, it kind of culminates at the end here where he's calling them out and he's saying, you put so much focus on like your identity, on the things that you call yourself, but there's something deeply wrong inside of you. On the outside, it looks like you got it all together, but on the inside, God knows the heart. And we see this towards the end in verse 28. He says this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision, that's the sign of their identity as pe people of God, Outward and physical, but a Jew, he says, is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from a man, but from God. He's calling out in us this call to confession. 
And I believe in this text, as I look at this, and I reflect on this, it seems to me that there's two important confessions that we're called to make. And the first is a confession of sin. I think in our day and age, we miss this, that we are called to be a people who regularly confess our sin and confess our need for a savior. I think it can be really easy to look at this text and say, oh yeah, I don't fall into the category of a faker hater. But let's just do a hypothetical story. Let's say that you get on the 99, right? You get on the freeway and you're driving down. And let's say that you're going relatively fast over the speed limit. Maybe you're going like 80. Hypothetically, I know we're all good church-growing people and we all obey the law, but let's just say that like, for the sake of the story, you're going 80 miles an hour. You're driving along and then all of a sudden, someone just zips by you at 100 in their fancy Tesla. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, and you think, wow, that person's going real fast, and then they cut you off. They do one of those moves where like, you're in the fast lane, but you're not fast enough, and they go around you and sneak around, and, and in your head, I, I just imagine what you're thinking in that moment, and then you hear the glorious sound of a siren. And you see a police car go right behind, and they go around you, and they pull that person over. And in that moment, as you're getting ready to drive by them, hypothetically speaking, you're probably just saying, oh, may God have grace. <laughs> I'm so sorry that, I'm so sorry that you were caught in your sin. I can relate. No, you're probably waving out the, out the hand, waving, maybe showing them a finger or two. And in that moment, it shows a little bit of the inclination of our heart, my friend. That there's something inside of us that is prone to hate. There's something inside of us, hear this, that is prone that when we see a celebrity or, or somebody fall, or even a, a friend or someone in the community or you hear the latest tea about something that's been happening, there's something in us that loves that. There's something in us that is prone, hear this, to enjoy the struggles of others. Almost like I feel good about myself by knowing, well, I'm not as bad as that. And it seems to me that part of our confession of sin would be this, and this is in the fill in the blanks if you wanna follow along, it's this. I would encourage you to write this. I think it's a part of our therapy is to remember this. I am inclined to faker, hater, living. You can write down the word I am. My name is Logan, and I am inclined to faker, hater, living. If you could, turn to the person next to you and say, I am inclined to faker, hater, living. This is what Paul's getting after here. 
This is what he's calling out in this passage. As, he, as, he, as we're looking at the gospel, as we're thinking with Paul, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power to, to change people. He says this here in verse 23, he says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among you, the Gentiles, because of you. There's this call amongst us to have hearts that are broken by our struggle. That are broken by, 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 the, by the ways that we see the world. I remember Jesus, he gives this parable where he talks about, there's these two guys who are praying. And one is a religious Pharisee. It says that he stands up and he puffs his chest and he looks out and there's another guy on the other side who's prostrate, falling down, crying out to God for mercy. And the guy with the puffed up chest says, thank you, Lord, that I am not like him. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in people confessing our need for help our need for a savior, our struggle with sin. We've been going through this Romans series and we've been using the metaphor of a gear system. That life is like this gear system. That, that in the book of Romans, the A signifies God himself, his presence, his paradise, his power. And because of our sin, we've been separated. Back in the garden in Genesis 1, we were created in his image, perfect, in perfect harmony, in the very presence of God, yet because of our sin, because of our struggle, we are no longer. And there's nothing we can do. We are separated from the very power of God and his very presence. And I believe there's a value as we look at this to just confessing, I am prone to faker, hater, living. I am prone to think that I am better than other people. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he wrote a little book called All of Grace. I would highly recommend, if you're a reader, to pick this book up. It's a small little book. In this, he wrote about the call of God's people to be constantly confessing our struggles and our sin. He said this, repentance, repentance is the act of confessing sin and turning to God. Repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks. It's not a temporary penance to be over as fast as possible. No, it is, hear this, the grace of a lifetime like faith itself. God's little children repent, and so do the young men and women and fathers and mothers. He says, repentance is the inseparable confession companion of faith. All the while we walk by faith and not sight, I love this line, the, t- the tear, tear of repentance glitters in the eye of faith. The tear of repentance glitters in the eye of faith. I love David. In Psalm 51, he had just been caught in his own sin and his own struggle. He cries out to the Lord. He says this. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
and I love this line, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, this call of confession, you see, taste of this throughout the whole Old Testament. As a matter of fact, circumcision itself, the sign of God's sovereign choice and his sovereign love and will in the people of God. In, in Deuteronomy, actually, God himself says, you know, I know that you have circumcision as a sign of this connection. He says, but what you really need is you need to have your hearts circumcised. And in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, God says, and you can't do that work in your heart. He says, God says, I will circumcise your hearts. Or as we like to say at Cornerstone, Jesus changes everything. That by his grace, by his goodness, by the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he takes on our sin and gives us his righteousness through faith in him. And so not only are we a people who must confess, oh Lord, I am prone to faker, hater, living. I am prone to, to, to live in, in, this, in this life of judgment and condemnation, but we also are a people that don't just confess sin, we also confess faith. They go hand in hand. And the confession of our faith is this. The Spirit restores image-bearing living. The Spirit restores image-bearing living. All the way back to our original design when God created us and he said it was good and he created us to be his images, to do his work, to be his kindness in the garden. The scriptures tell us that through faith in Jesus, the Spirit restores this. Look at what happens in verse 28. Look at what he says here. Verse 29, it says, by the Spirit, not by the letter, this circumcision takes place. His praise is not from man, but from God. So we believe this. We, we believe that we're called to be a people in light of our tendency towards hate, our, our, our tendency that we, we really are at times faking it. What do we often say? Fake it till you make it. And Paul here is saying, all of us are in this struggle. And there's something valuable about confessing faith in Jesus and dealing with it. I believe in this room, if you're anything like me in my story, I grew up going to church I grew up praying with my family every night. I grew up knowing the things of God. But I believe that it was not until I confessed my faith in Jesus and I made him my personal savior and king that I was faking it. That even though I knew the things, the most important thing is I needed to know Jesus. And out of that, by him saying, by having him be my savior, accepting him, and then also having him be my Lord, living with him, reigning in my heart, and guiding the way that I live, he has been doing his work of changing me. And it's an ongoing changing of me. And I would invite you to consider these confessions today. So they have these two gospel confessions, and I also believe there's some 
really great gospel practices that we could apply to our lives. And what I love about Paul is he can't help but share the good news right in the middle of all this kind of depressing news. Look at verse four. Look at what happens in verse four. Because it seems to me that we have a gospel practice here that is deeply important. And the gospel practice here is one word that changes everything. One word that we must ruminate on and and work at, and the word is this, hear this, life-changing word, kindness. Kindness. Paul is telling us that the, the kindness of God does something. Look at what he says here. Don't miss this. He says, do you presume, do you just like assume or take for granted on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness does something. God's not just kind to me because he likes me or because that's who he is. His kindness does something. It leads you to repentance. Here we go again. The kindness of God does something in you and me. I believe this is, this is earth-shattering, life-changing. It's something that we need to truly get inside us. In this passage, Paul uses rhetoric a couple times where he says, but you, O oh man, but you, O oh man, you are a hater, but you, O oh, oh human, are a hater, but you, O oh human, are a faker. But there's another great but statement in scripture that I wanted to share with you that reflects on this kindness. And the statement is in Ephesians chapter two, it says this, but God. Hear this, but God being rich in mercy. Remember earlier we said the riches of his kindness, same thing. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he did what? He made us alive. Remember our little preschoolers sitting here? He is alive, they're singing of this. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming age he might show, don't miss this, the immeasurable riches of his grace in what? Kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Kindness. Around Cornerstone, we have a motto we constantly say that we believe that Jesus changes everything. I was at Little League this week, Sorry for all the Little League stories. It's that time of the year, and I'm living at the park. I got some fellow brothers-in-arms here that are coaching as well. Actually, some mothers-in-arms too, sisters-in-arms too. And I remember watching a a Little League game, and I noticed one of our teachers um, had a shirt on, and I was just reflecting on just our call to be kind and just the need for that in Little League. And one of our teachers said, kindness changes everything. I thought that's so true. 
And that's so much richer than just like, it's not just niceness. That's not what he's saying. Kindness. Like the kindness of God changes everything. Like really thinking on that. So as you practice this, as you think about how do I practice kindness, my first word to you this week is I would say ruminate on it. Ruminate. That, that's a word that is meant to like chew on it. Marinate on it. Ruminate on the kindness of God. Don't miss how great he is, how wonderful he is, and that he offers it to you. One of my favorite verses is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. He says, for my yoke is easy. And that word for easy is the same, the root of that word easy is the same root for the word kindness. And so the very work that Jesus called us into is a taste of his kindness. And he's calling out to us in the struggle, in the pain, in this world, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, over your struggles, over your concerns, over your anxieties, he's calling you to ruminate on his kindness today. One of my favorite books is a book by this guy named Dane Ortland. He wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. And he reflected on this, on the kindness of God. He said this, he said, it's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver. Only to hear him shout back sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. That's what we are all like, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. I, I just picture that here. Did you know that the, any guess at the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible? Now everyone was gonna say, oh, it's John 3, 16, I see it at the football games. That's the most quoted verse in the Bible by humans. The most quoted verse in the Bible when the Bible quotes another verse is actually a verse in Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's constantly written about in other places and it's when God describes himself and God tells Moses, this is who I am, and it says the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I believe, friends, that if we can be a people who ruminate on the kindness of God, it will change everything. If you can truly ruminate on what he's done for you, it will change everything. Maybe you're saying how, I would encourage you, maybe memorize Psalm 145, we don't have time to dig into it, but that is a beautiful psalm that ruminates on the kindness of God. And so I would say, ruminate on kindness. 
on God's kindness, but also second, work at it. Work at it. Our tendency is not to kindness. Our tendency, remember, is to hater, fake or hater living. Our tendency is to selfishness and pride and ego. And God is calling us because of his kindness to in turn be kind, my friend. And this is simple and so hard. It's a call to kindness in your homes. It's a call to kindness in your schools. It's a call to kindness in your workplaces. It's a call to kindness, hear this, on Facebook. On Twitter. It's a call to kindness with that person who disagrees with you and offends you. It's a call to, to kindness to the person who is voting for someone different than you. It's a call to kindness, Little League coaches, to that coach who just keeps on putting it on you when you're losing by 10 runs. It's a call to kindness. I wanna leave you with this. This last Wednesday, we had a testimony at our Celebrate Recovery that I thought was a beautiful picture. This gentleman came and he shared about his experience years ago of being kidnapped on a bus ride. It's a bit of Chachilla's story. And he shared how he was a young boy and he shared the absolute terror and trauma of that moment, of being buried alive, of giving really graphic details of how horrible it was to the point of, of just breaking for this little 12-year-old and then talking about the way that that trauma and that pain and that torture affected the rest of his life about how evil and darkness started to come in and even there was this demon presence. There was this, 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 this desire for him to hurt other people, to kill. As I heard his story, it felt so hopeless. It felt so dark and evil, but then he talks about coming to know Jesus. And he talks about the ways that God came into his life and completely brought healing and restoration to his very soul. And he closed with something that I thought was so profound and I'm still ruminating on. He said, God, do not give me a story of being tortured. He said he gave me a story of trusting. And my hope is today is that we would join in trusting in the kindness of God. In believing that God Almighty is real and that he's kind and he's gracious and compassionate, he's righteous, he deals with our sin and the ways that he deals with that is through Jesus. And the call, the invitation is to believe in him. And I invite you today I invite you in a few moments, we're gonna sing a song called Oh Come to the Altar. It's a time for us together to sing to God, to come to the altar, to pray to him, to ask him and receive his kindness. As we sing, if you would like, you can come down and pray with someone or pray here or after the service, pray or just wherever you are. But I just wanna have some time for us just to ruminate on the kindness of God together.
and to walk out, as Peggy said, knowing that we are people through faith in Jesus who are free because of God's kindness. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, we believe that you are speaking right now in this moment, that through your word, through your kindness, you are continuing to open up our, our eyes to our need for you. And God, we just confess together, we are prone to faker, hater living. We are prone to judgment. We are prone to, to, to lifting ourselves up as we push others down. Yet, God, you call us to be people that come alongside others, that receive your grace, your goodness, and continue to be kind because of your kindness to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we sing of your goodness and grace, I pray that you would minister in this time, that you would have your way, and that we would taste and see of our kind God, and that you would lead us to repentance in response. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.